Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. All right, welcome to another episode of Tennis Channel Inside In on the Tennis Podcast Network. Mitch Michaels here. It's post Roland Garros. And this week to break down all the action as we recap the French Open, talk about the grass court swing, the news and notes of the tennis world. A man of many hats jet-setting across the world now at this point, covering tennis, ATP high number 12 in singles, number three in doubles. And I looked this up too, 32 years ago, Queens Club. Beat a guy named Pete Sampras as a teenager. Oh, look Matt at Sweelander. you, Mitch. And he had a 7-5 set against Lendl, who is number one in the world. Yeah, so I lost 7-5 in the third <laughs> to Lendl. There's a good look at you digging yeah. in, this, the, doing the journalistic dirty work, I it's, tell you. It's Paul Anacone on Tennis Channel Inside In. Paul, I should also mention, you know, we're happy to have you here. But somehow somebody that I think greatness is just attracted to, you've been working with some of the greatest minds and players in tennis. So I think there's something about you there that really just attracts the best over time i've been lucky i've had look i've never worked a day in my life they say if you do what you love it's not work right and i've been able to play my whole life and uh, i love tennis and i've been around a lot of great people that have taught me a lot of things so it's been fun chapters so far have been fun hopefully there are more chapters ahead well i i really appreciate you taking the time and i think that it just shows you how busy tennis is you're in france one week just talking about some great <laughs> tennis now we're already on to the grass court swing the French Open had a lot of drama, had a lot of storylines. We have to start with that epic semifinal match. Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal. I know you've been around the game for so long, but when a match like that happens, it's it's almost natural to just take a step back, at least for me, someone a lot younger and less experienced, just, just to appreciate it for a moment. As that was going on, did you realize that this was just, just a moment of greatness and that you had two legends giving it their all in a setting with so much on the line that it was just special. Yeah, you know, you don't get those moments very often. And and when they come, you try to enjoy them. And for me, you know, the match didn't start off very well. I mean, Novak was terrible the first yeah. 15 minutes as he was in last year's final. And he was hitting a lot of drop shots again and kind of was bailing out. And, and I was worried... At that point, when he got down four or five love, I was like, oh, no, is is he not going to be able to get it together? Because Rafa, as you know, generally doesn't let, let you get it together no. if you don't start with it together. Well, but Novak being Novak, as great as he is, that's why it's so important. And I think every young player should watch the first set because he's getting crushed. But he gets back into the first set, yeah. gets back to 5-3. And I think that pay, pay, played a huge role and his ability to get back in the match. And and after the first set, the I thought the tennis was great. I thought the third set was maybe the best set of tennis I've ever seen, 90-minute third set. Um, mm -hmm. The other two sets besides that were unbelievably good, but the third set to me was something pretty special. You bring that up a lot uh, on the air, especially that finishing sets strong when you don't necessarily know you're going to lose, but it looks like you're going to lose. Just give yourself that momentum. There's really nobody like him at resetting. We saw it in the final two down two sets to love. 
But I think the shocking thing to me was that, you know, Rafael Nadal never loses, hardly ever loses on clay, hardly ever at the French Open, but especially when he wins the first set. So for Novak to do what he did, I know he's got all these majors, all these accolades, but I think he'd be hard-pressed to find a more impressive win, an impressive task that he completed than what he did on that Friday. No, I, I agree. Look, last time he beat him at Roland Garros, he was playing unbelievable tennis, and if you look at their head-to-head around that time, Novak had a little bit more of an advantage and had been beating Rafa more regularly. So a few years ago when he beat him at Roland Garros, he beat him pretty comprehensively. This time he had to come from behind, which was really tricky. And like I said, after the first set, once he got settled in at 5-0 down and then he started playing well, I was like, okay, this could start to get interesting now. And after that, it was just jaw-dropping stuff. And, the third and it, set. Oh, I mean, it was, it was amazing. The momentum swings, both guys fighting, all the breaks back, the crowd going crazy. Djokovic had that drop shot down set point that he pulled off. I know you've coached the You coached Pete against Andre, who was the king of returning. It, it's just amazing to watch Novak return and approach returning, putting pasting the ball, pasting good serves on the line, and just taking over points. It's just it's. Yeah, he's, it's an apprenticeship, sur- you know, he's surgical, Mitch. It's really yeah. fun to watch because not only is the return great, when you watch that match, and Rafa does the same thing, you watch those guys dissect a tennis court. Yeah. You know, the return, and another great note for young players, watch where a lot of their returns go. They go deep up the middle of the court. And the reason for that is they hit the middle. It's a big target. They can hit it really aggressively. And then when they do that, they don't give their opponents an angle. And what does that do? It lets them get back to the middle of the court, and then they open the court up according to the pattern that they want. So they're so strategic. Novak is amazing, the best returner I've ever seen in the game, and also one of the best strategists you'll ever see. That match literally was like a video game. I mean, it was (laughs) amazing. It was like a video game, what these guys were doing having to finish the points two and three times each before one of the other guys would either miss a point, miss a ball or they'd hit a winner. It was, you know, it was just so much fun. The fans getting to stay too is that added bonus of the eruption after the third set. I hate to ever question and critique all time greats greatness, but was there something in the dolls game that you thought maybe slipped a little bit, maybe something that Novak did that caused him to not play his best tennis? Well, I mean, look, these guys have played each other so many times. There really aren't, any secrets? Could he have done a couple things better? Sure. I mean, you know, we talk about narrow margins. Uh, Rafa missed an easy forehand volley in the tiebreak in the third set at a pivotal moment. Moment. He missed a couple of balls. But you know what people have to realize is when when you're playing someone that defends like Novak does, or when you're playing someone that defends like Rafa does, things that are unforced errors really aren't unforced errors mm-hmm. because they move so well. So yeah. a normal two-and-a-half-foot by two-and-a-half-foot target is probably 12 inches by 12 inches. So after a while, you're going to miss a little more. Did Rafa miss a little bit more against Novak than normally? Absolutely, because he's playing Novak. And did Novak miss a little more than he normally plays? Absolutely, because he's playing against Rafa. So you have to take all that stuff into consideration. And sure, Rafa maybe could have played a little bit better, but it was far from a poor tennis effort. I mean, he's only... Won the tournament 13 times, (laughs) lost three times only in that uh, tournament. And I know he's getting up there in age, so it's fair to always question. We're going to get to, you know, his plans coming up here in a second. But every time he's lost, which hasn't been much, he's dug back in. He's overcome the setback with the refined focus. Do you expect that again? I know age is a factor, but it is Rafael Nadal and 
we know what he's capable of. Uh, absolutely. I absolutely do. I mean, to think of how many times he's won it. I mean, just because he loses one year to Novak in a <laughs> war, to me, doesn't not make him the favorite next year. Let's see what happens from now until then. Um, you know, with no with Rafa now not playing Wimbledon this year yeah. and the Olympics, um, it's time for him to hit a reset button. I'm curious if there's going to be any mental baggage from this. There really shouldn't be yeah. because of what he's done in the past. He didn't do anything blatantly wrong in this match, and he's won it 13 times, and sometimes you lose. That's just the way it goes. It's not a brutal loss when you lose the Novak Djokovic, too. I mean, it's a war, like you said. Sure. Obviously wanted it, didn't happen, but... Got to give credit to where credit's due. Rafa not playing Wimbledon or the Olympics. Maybe not the most surprising thing. He kind of hinted at it at Roland Garros that Wimbledon was in jeopardy. He mentioned that there's less. The, the one-week subtraction in the schedule played a part. The way he worded it, Paul, it, it was a lot of what I thought you heard from Roger Federer a couple years ago. I want to extend my career. I want to keep doing what I love. I want to be smart about this. So I'm not really surprised by this it's just another you know example of these guys are getting older and they want to preserve what they can yeah it doesn't surprise me at all I mean Wimbledon is his least likely successful major um, and the Olympics is in a very strange time and a very strange scenario with coming out of COVID and no fans and all the stuff that's going on so it's a really difficult time and that's the hardest part for athletes is to figure out how to sacrifice the micro while managing the macro so you can play longer, yeah. right? And and that's exactly what Rafa's doing, which I think is really smart. Roger's been doing it for a few years. I remember at the end of Pete Sampras's career, he skipped Australia once or twice to give himself a longer time to get ready to go again. So it's just a fact of what happens as you get older, and it makes a ton of sense. Yeah, I uh, I love that line about... I. I want to do what makes me happy like at the end of the day all the accolades all the money everything these guys at their core love to play tennis and that's what you love to see and it went all the way into the final for Novak who again comes down from two sets down I think he's done that more than anybody now in finals for sure uh, beating Sitsipas in that final again it was a surgical performance Paul I thought of just chipping away at the mountain down two sets to one get that early break in the third get an early lead in the fourth and just steadily play your game like you said problem solving and, and his strategy was brilliant I thought Novak again in best of five it's just getting to a point where it's hard to see that guy losing when the stakes are so high yeah and, and that's what's amazing when you sit and you watch it and, and you see what they're able to do um, and you see what they're able to reset from it, it's just incredible you know as soon as Novak lost the second as soon as he started wandering around emotionally in the second set you wondered is this over did mm -hmm. the you know and people talked about the Rafa tax because there's a Rafa tax in a four and a half hour match against Nadal that's big but yeah. also he had a brutal match he had two brutal matches before that he had a really difficult match um, against Musetti where he had lost the first two sets and he had to reset there so there was a lot of emotional stuff that was going on that he had to get through. Played Berrettini in a very emotional match at night that went four sets that was a war. So all that stuff is cumulative. So they're set and a half in. I'm like, wow, maybe even his fuel tank is drained. And no, it wasn't. It's amazing. He's able to do it again. Beginning of the third set, comes back and just becomes a wall and doesn't miss a ball defends incredibly well, returns like we all know he can return, and he basically just asked Sitsipas the simple question of, how are you going to finish points for one more set? 
and he wasn't able to because yeah. the guy defends too well. And mm-hmm. if you don't hit the ball in a perfect spot, yeah. he gets you on a string. So it's really it's a pleasure to watch at that level. There's just no panic with these guys too. None. Like you see other sports where guys might be shaking, even in tennis where there might be a big moment and you know the racket gets a little tight. Not with these guys, uh, and also on sets of pass. I mean, making his first major final, huge accomplishment, huge huge accomplishment for the nation of Greece, especially to be the first player man or woman to make the final was one set away and it, and it seems so close but yet we've been here before Dominic team was in this position against Djokovic in the Australian Open Medvedev got his crack this year and lost in straight sets these guys are knocking on the door but that old guard is still <laughs> is still shutting it on them yeah no it's, it's just amazing <laughs> they just make it so difficult to finish matches yeah I mean and and they just know the scenario and the environment so well. It's just it's a it's a lesson for everybody in resiliency. And I also think, Mitch, that's one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to watch other people play in these matches, whether it's men's or women's, yeah. and they make mistakes and they get nervous and because these guys are so good. Yeah, we're like, this seen supposed them, to happen. Right. We've seen them do it for so long that all of a sudden you'll see a newcomer out there and they kind of flounder around a little yeah. bit. That's why I was I was also thinking about this too. I mean, the the game and the surfaces have changed how they've been playing. But a guy like Medvedev loses this week early in the grass court season. He's struggling on clay. We were spoiled like you're supposed to do well on all surfaces all the time. You know, you're not supposed yeah, yeah. to have a, a favorite surface. You're supposed right. to just make the semis of and finals of every tournament. It's crazy. Uh, Paul Anacone here on the TC on the uh, Tennis Channel Inside In podcast. Before we wrap up and put a bow on this, Djokovic now with 19 majors, 11 and two in his last 13 Grand Slam finals. An incredible run for him. You were on the record as saying, working with Pete Sampras, that he was the most results-driven guy that you'd seen. I feel like Djokovic at this point, Paul, who is admitted he grew up idolizing Pete Sampras, is cut from the same cloth. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think Novak is someone that is driven by what history shows him and what history has shown him is that Rafa and he's come in the footsteps probably of the hardest two people you could ever come in the footsteps of yes because they're so beloved Roger and Rafa and and for for me I think that's a shame for Novak because he hasn't been able to get the appreciation he deserves but if you look at what's happened since 2011 he has won 18 Grand Slams titles and Rafa and Roger combined have won 15 yeah. Okay. So he's won 31 Masters 1000, where the best they've done is 28 ATP finals. He's won four. Those guys have won one. And he's been weeks number one, 324. I mean, he's been the most dominant player for the last decade. That's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and you can love whoever you want to love, but when you look at the facts, he's been the most dominant player in the last decade. I mean, the, the debate about greatest and all that stuff and the careers are still going on. They're with Federer and Nadal, they're very similar. There's different points you can look at. The way it's trending for Djokovic, he's going to have just about every metric you can look at. I yeah, mean, yeah, you think, yeah, you would think. Yeah, you would. I I don't ever believe, and I've yeah, said this all yeah. along, I don't believe in greatest. Mm-hmm. I believe in most accomplished. And yeah. I think Novak's going to be the most accomplished. Certainly and, looking that yeah, way. Yeah. And, and, you know, because everything, it's apples and oranges, different eras, different times in people's yeah. careers. But I just sit here and enjoy all three of them. And, and I think Novak, um, is going to be the most accomplished just based on the timing of everything and where he is right now and where the other guys are. And doesn't mean anything other than let's just applaud all of them and say, keep going, guys, as long as you can. Well, I couldn't have said it any better than that. I'm appreciative of just as much tennis as we can get. More on some of the others a little later. 
Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Paul Anacone uh, on Tennis Channel Inside In. Got to give love to the female champion, Barbara, Barbara Krujakova, who was a doubles player who essentially was outside of the top 100 before the, the year even started at the end of last year. Now she's a Grand Slam champion, and it was a remarkable run, remarkable resolve having to save a match point to get there against Zachary in the semis. But here's someone in her early to mid-20s that wanted to give it a run at singles, used what she had in doubles to better her game, and gets to the top of the mountain. It was truly inspiring. Yeah, I mean, look, it was so much. there were so many stories on the women's side as well, but Krajikova was amazing to watch her play and watch her resilience. And then you have the storylines with the mentorship from Yana Novotna. That's and, great. And the inspiration that our own Martina Navratilova gave her when she was young. And to see her, you know, evolve from this tremendous kind of more of a doubles person into a major singles title holder was pretty special. And the way she did it in those two weeks was amazing. I mean, she got through a lot of resilient matches and played some tremendous tennis. I saw her play some great tennis against Sloan Stevens, where she was really incredibly good. She got past Sakari in a very nerve-riddled match by both players. Yeah. And then she was just better in the finals. Look, and Pavlyuchenkova, let's give her some credit. Uh -huh. I, I'm a huge fan. And finally, after all these years, she gets to the finals. Look, she's only 29, Pavlyuchenkova. I know, but, it's crazy that but, she's only 29. Yeah, yeah but yeah. she's been around for a while. And uh -huh. for her to have an event like that was pretty special, too. So it was really, there was just so many great storylines to keep track of. To overcome that match point against Sakari, where it looked like it was clearly out and then it was like like that's a huge thing that she dug in and didn't let it completely unravel i'm her. just glad it didn't it <laughs> yeah. didn't it wasn't the difference in the match yeah well i know you're i know you were accomplished doubles player yourself and we're starting to see a new movement of a lot of these players or a lot of the top singles players are looking at doubles you saw Svantec play with Bethany Maddox Sands, and they're they're getting something out of playing doubles, and I do think it is helping a lot of their yeah. The the balance you always have to figure out the balance, mm -hmm. like when and how yeah. much should I play? Do I do it at the majors? Do I not? And a lot of that's individual preference. I'm a big believer in if you think you can win a major, I wouldn't suggest you play doubles during the major, especially for the guys that are playing three out of five sets. I just yeah. think there's too much duress, emotional and physical, and you want to make sure that the fuel tank is full. But, um, yeah, you can absolutely – doubles is awesome. It can help you get to be a better tennis player. So there's no reason you shouldn't play it. So now it's seven unseated women that have won Grand Slams in the Open era and the last six at Roland Garros for first-time major champs. So Amazing, it's, right? It's just the queen maker out here at this tournament. It's uh, changing people's lives. Uh, unfortunately – we got the news today, switching gears now. Naomi Osaka is not going to play Wimbledon. Maybe not the most surprising news. John Wertheim kind of discussed it last week on this show that it was trending that way. It's always unfortunate. I, I, I wish her the best, of course, as we all do, but it's just always unfortunate when we don't get to watch her play tennis. Like, no tournament's better without having her Yeah, in exactly, it. and it's the same look for different reasons. Rafa not playing Wimbledon and mm -hmm. Rafa not playing the Olympics. You never want to lose an icon, and yeah. we lost Rafa, and now we, we lost Naomi for a different reason. You know, she's got, a, she's got uh, stuff that she has to, you know, 
deal with in terms of the emotional health and well-being, which is the most important thing because the emotional health and well-being is going to drive the quality of your life. So she absolutely needs to do what she needs to do for her. And uh, let's just hope that she gets what she needs and that she's back on the tennis court soon, happy and healthy. She's looking forward to the Olympics, obviously. It's in Tokyo, and even though it won't be a traditional experience, it obviously means a lot to her, and she mentioned that in her statement. Still super young as well. So, like, this, this, you know, setbacks on and off the court. She's already a, a Hall of Fame accomplished player. I, I really do look forward to seeing her back, and uh, like you said, I think it's just good to get healthy, get back to where uh, you're in a comfortable place because tennis is great, but there's obviously more important things there. Life. Life. Life, <laughs> Life matters. Life for sure. Um, somebody that we're excited to see that we were excited to see back on the grass courts, Roger Federer, who pulled out of the French Open after advancing to the fourth round, played at Halle, which I got to say before we go any further, I love the loyalty factor. I love that he always went back there because they did him a solid early in his career. We saw him play early, wins a match, and then loses to Felix Oje Aliassim in a three-set match that was a little uncharacteristic in the sense that he kind of lost going away and Paul is someone that's worked with Roger. Haven't really, I've got to ask because I haven't really seen him lose a set and kind of look dejected and and have the frame of mind that wasn't positive. Was that out of character in your opinion? Totally out of character. And he said it yesterday. He said that's why it took him a while to get into the press conference because he was, he he got very negative on the court. And that's not his disposition. He's one of the most optimistic people I've ever been around. But guess what? When you've gone through what he's gone through in the last kind of, 12 to 18 months along with the pandemic and everything else and you're trying to get your traction and you can't it's frustrating so it's human nature to get a little bit down and a little bit more negative even for him so i think he's just showing the human side of who he is and the human side of life and trying to do what he's trying to do but i i just still feel like with every great player you question their capabilities at your own peril whether (laughs) it's roger or rafa or serena you know, I don't know what they can do. He definitely isn't playing as well as I would have expected. Um, I, I think it's hard because the sample size is so small. Uh-huh. But the thing that was shocking to me yesterday was the fact that it went south pretty quickly. And and, and it doesn't take a lot to, specifically in grass court tennis, where you have to dig yourself out of a big hole. But I think it just got a little choppy for him. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, he doesn't have a ton of reps, which makes it really difficult. So now, unless he decides to do something next week, which I wouldn't imagine he would, maybe play an exhibition, mm-hmm. he's going to have to play his way into it over three to five sets at Wimbledon, which is harder to do than going into it feeling really good. I mean, Felix, who's struggled a little bit on the clay this year, no slouch. We know what he's capable of. It's a, it's a tough matchup uh, out of the gate, so to speak, second match of the tournament. What are some reasonable expectations for Federer? I don't want to say at this stage of his career, but at this stage of his comeback. What should we expect? Is, is a deep run into a tournament more unlikely, I hate to say? Um. It's, it's more unlikely, yeah. but but I, I don't I definitely don't think it's not it's not off the table. Yeah, you know, again, a lot of these things is dependent on what happens as a tournament progresses. I won't be shocked if it happens. Yeah, um, but but it's I think that the odds are um, definitely not where you want them to be. But like I said, with great players, <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah, three out of five is more of the concern of just getting back into match shape. I mean, I'm not on record as saying that it's never going to happen again, but just getting back into form 
with a choppy year, as you said, with the pandemic and not being able to play as frequently, it's going to be tough to, as you say, play your way back into it in a major. But if anybody can do it, that's <laughs> right. The, he's the guy. Been there before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Andy Murray, another name that played at Queens Club, got the win over Pear early. Really emotional after. Another example of how much these guys love to play. Lost to Berrettini today, which, by the way, not a bad loss whatsoever. And I think definitely more of a showcase of how hard he hits it. Now he's really finding his groove as a young top 10 player. Yeah, it's a tough matchup for Andy, I think. Well, for everybody, but Andy in particular on grass because he hits the ball so big, serve and forehand, that even with Andy's great defending skills, it's hard to stay in the rally. And and so because of that, I think he took the racket out of Andy's hand for a while, and that made it really difficult because Andy had break chances early in the first set, but after that he was playing from behind, which is a tough place to be against a player that's as good as Berrettini. Yeah. So I just think it was a tough style matchup, but uh, uh, don't give up on Andy Murray just yet. No, I, I watch <laughs> him for another guy you can't ever doubt, uh, one Wimbledon twice. When I'm watching Murray now, watching his movement is the first thing because th- his body has been through just about as much as a tennis player can withstand, and the fact that he's on the court based on the surgeries is kind of remarkable. Yeah, no, exactly. And he's been through so much, but he's one of the most disciplined human beings that you'll ever see. And that's why he's still able to play because he's so disciplined. He combines the physical skills that he's got with that discipline. And that's what's gotten him to his greatness. Paul Anacone on Tennis Channel Inside. And I do want to give props to some players, some American players that have been uh, doing some things and making their way up. One of the guys on the list, Paul, is Francis Tiafo because he was at a, 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 I wouldn't say a dark place, but a lower point in his career early. Goes, plays a challenger, wins that. And now we're looking at a semifinal appearance at Queens Club. He's found himself and playing the best grass court tennis I think we've ever seen from him. Yeah, no, it's great to see Francis playing so well, winning that challenger last week and now in the quarterfinals this week so far uh, at Queens. Yeah. He's just a, he's a mm-hmm. great athlete and he's a young guy that has a ton of skills and uh, he's getting better and better still, and it's good to see him catching his stride. I kind of like how his game has looked on grass, and I think you know you can kind of speak to this. The season's so short that for some of these young players, we don't know how it's going to translate, and their the sample size is so small. Sometimes you get to, they win some matches, they get that match repetition, that toughness, and starts to open some eyes. I think he's an example of that. Exactly, and who knows what this will do? Maybe this is the springboard going into Wimbledon that he needs. But uh, all in all, it's just to see him put it all together uh, like this. It's not very shocking at all because he's unbelievably gifted. Let's just hope it's a a trend that keeps going that way. I have to ask you about Taylor Fritz, a guy you've been working with, another guest on this show, and somebody that is trying to defy the odds of getting back after an injury. Ended, you know, terribly at the French Open with his injury, but he's back on the courts. He shot some pretty good video. We'll get the Emmy reel going. I think they think this could be Emmy. That's what I'm. That's what I'm <laughs> yeah. hearing. That's what the rumblings are. It is, early yeah, on. we got some. We got some samplers. That okay. some feelers out here. But just being able to come back so quickly. What I love about the story, though, is that he didn't take no. He wants to get back out. He didn't want to lay up and get in his thoughts. It was immediately from the surgery. Let's get back to work. Yeah, no, he wants to go play, and um, he hit some balls yesterday, which I believe was eight days after surgery. And uh, he's hit some this morning as well. I'm going to go to see the doctor this afternoon, get some more information. He's hoping to get over to Wimbledon to play. And that decision is not going to be made till after he talks to the doctor today and probably one more conversation next week. But the doctor said it's not uh, out of the question based on what he's seen so far. So let's keep the fingers crossed. 
He's a, uh, a a very solid grass court player, won a title there. Uh, and I do want to bring this up when we talked last time. He he mentioned the working relationship with you, the ups and downs of playing, and you pushing him to be better. He says, though, that he does like to question some things, though. That's But it's a good thing, it, too. It's yeah. a good thing, and it translates yeah. on the court to being really, yeah. really tough and mm-hmm. resilient and stubborn and also trying yeah. to problem solve because yeah. he's, one, he's one of the best competitors out there, and I yeah. admire that part of it. And, and look, this is in these kind of coaching relationships, it's not a dictatorship. It's an individual sport. You have to figure out where and how to get the player to buy in. And ultimately they will, or they won't, or you find yourselves halfway in between and, and our communication and our relationship is fine. So I I love the fact that, that he pushes back and wants to know why and has ideas himself because he himself is the one on the court that's going to have yeah. to figure it out. I like watching these sporting events, team sports, even when coaches and players kind of have these disagreements. Mm-hmm. They're, it's a great relationship. Yeah, it happens in life. the heat of yeah, the moment no and it gets problem. going. <laughs> uh, before we wrap this up, this has been fun. Uh, Paul Anico and Tennis Channel Inside In. I do want to give props to somebody that announced she's going to retire, Kiki Burton's at the mm. end of the year. Unfortunately, the injury bug got her. She's 29 years old, won about 10, I won 10 titles, two 1,000 level events, got to number four in the world. It's uh, unfortunate that it seems like her retirement's not going to be on her terms, but did a lot of great stuff for the Netherlands and for, you know, putting herself onto the map and becoming a top five player. So all respect to her. Yeah, amazing stuff. So, you know, look, I'm, I'm hoping that the next chapters in her life are happy and fulfilling, and you never want to hear someone going away from a game because of injury. I hope that, uh, she gets happy and healthy and can enjoy the next chapters. But she's had a great career, and she deserves all the happiness she can find. She was a beast on clay, too. Yep. Beat some great names and, uh, you know, an accomplished player. Uh, last thing with Paul Anacone, we look at the grass court season. Wimbledon's going to be here literally before we know it. The sample size is even smaller this year. Do you look at this as maybe an opportunity for young players to break through? It, or maybe the flip side of that, the veterans that have had the experience on the court might be at an advantage. No, I, I look uh, the way things are going. Other than predicting Novak winning, I don't, I'm not really yeah. sure what else to think can yeah. happen. You know, especially on both the men and the women. I think yeah. Serena's got a great chance if she's healthy because she's going to be tough to stop on the grass. She loves it, um, and Novak is the guy to beat on the men's. But I think it's a great opportunity for the young players. Always is, and I'm excited. Wimbledon, one of the most prestigious, if not the prestigious tournaments. It's going to be here. We're going to have that for you here on Tennis Channel, but still some some great action beforehand. Paul Anacombe, this was a blast. Very last thing, I had to bring this up. You're originally from, I think, the Southampton area? East Hampton. East Hampton, mm-hmm. okay. Yep. So that would have put you at about 17 when the Islanders started dominating, and uh, this is a bit, it's a pretty big one tonight at the Coliseum. There, so. sure, there sure is. i got to make sure I get home in time to <laughs> see it. They're yep. back, and yep. it's it's fun to see Long Island rocking. Yep. And, uh, a little different know. than the Clark Gillies, <laughs> Dennis Jean-Pop, Van Chico, Resch era, Mike Bossy. Wow, there All it these, is. Yeah, names you guys, you, you youngsters don't even know these <laughs> a names. A four but. for four, the last pro sports franchise to win four straight championships in North America. Yep. Pretty impressive. Paul was a, a, a young lad then and got spoiled. Exactly. And, uh, never looked at sports the same. <laughs> exactly. Paul Anik. Cohen, pleasure. Thanks for joining Tennis Channel Inside In. Thanks, Mitch. Always a pleasure, my friend. Thanks, pal. Thanks for the patience. That's going to do it for this week's episode of Tennis Channel Inside In. Huge thanks again to Paul Anacone for coming on the show and breaking down the game like only he can. Always a pleasure to learn from one of the masters, one of the 
most esteemed voices in this sport and at this network. Go to the Tennis Podcast Network, tennis.com slash podcast for this show and all the other fantastic shows on our network. A brand new tennis.com. You got to check it out. A lot of cool stuff there. A lot of new content as well. Next week, we're going to have more Tennis Channel Inside In and more episodes of your favorite podcast. So be on the lookout for that. We're on the road to Wimbledon. It's a short road. It's coming up soon. I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.